0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 13. Today is Thursday, January the 31st. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this episode of This Week in Voice is Magic and Company, a premier agency that's helped many top brands find their voice. Magic and Company was a diamond sponsor at the 2019 Alexa Conference. We're big fans of what they're doing. Uh, ben Fisher spoke at the Alexa Conference on the necessity of marketers to be thinking about how best to represent their organizations in this new voice-first era. If you are individually looking to create an Alexa skill or a Google Home Action or some other voice presence, or for your company looking to do that, I would encourage you to reach out to them and have a conversation. Uh, their information is in the show notes of this podcast. Uh, Take the time to do it. You'll be glad that you did. We are thrilled to have a great panel of guests for this show today. Our first guest is Emily Bender. Emily, say hello.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Bradley.
0: Emily, thank you for joining us. So you are voice marketing strategist for Beatle Moment Marketing. Share with us what you do with voice, how you look at it. Share share with us your background and, and what you do.
1: I have about a decade of experience in mostly digital marketing. I've really run the gamut working with startups, global brands, all kinds of companies. And I went solo a couple years ago and began really focusing in on voice because I believe it is the most important development when it comes to technology. And when I work with clients, I always introduce a voice perspective. Sometimes I do social media strategy, but... What I've noticed is everybody is starting to catch the wave and see the value there. So I just help guide them along, and I take a holistic approach from kind of a diverse marketing background to do that.
0: Excellent. And uh, you joined us at the Alexa conference. Your, your talk got high marks, um, which uh, is to be expected. Uh, you did a fantastic job. We appreciated you joining us. Thank you for joining us now.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome. And I had a great time. You, you really put on a, a fun show there at the conference.
0: Our second guest is Jason Fields. Jason, say hello. Hey, everybody. Jason, you are Chief Strategy Officer at Voiceify. Tell us what you do, what Voiceify is and does. Um, walk us through it. Absolutely. So, uh,
2: Voiceify is uh, what you could think of as a voice content management system or a voice experience platform. Um, uh, myself and uh, other members of the leadership team of Voiceify came from about twenty years of agency work where we focused on a lot of content through uh, various digital channels, including web and native um, app developments. And we realized as when we uh, first got exposed to Voice uh, some time ago, that there was going to be a gap in the market that was forcing a lot of brands to utilize uh, pretty heavy development teams in order to create and ultimately manage over time these voice app skills or actions. Across multiple platforms. So, um, trying to bring the management and the creation of these voice experiences to uh, marketers and brand owners rather than creating an inter brand dependency across departments, we uh, created a user interface SaaS based uh, platform that allows companies to um, really, with just the uh, entry of content, start. creating uh, their voice application skills or actions, and then our, our platform deploys automatically, or I should say automagically, uh, to Google, Amazon, uh, Cortana, and uh, Bixby's on the horizon now that they've gotten their act together. Um, so we're excited to let brands connect with their customers and prospects and bring real value to that customer
0: experience through voice. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. So with that, we'll get to the news. And our first story is... About Amazon Super Bowl ads. So, as has happened the last few years, probably last seven or eight years at least, Super Bowl ads leak in advance of the game. And it's done for a number of reasons, primarily CYA to cover the folks who created it to make sure it's not a disaster uh, like some, some were back when they just aired for the first time. So, we've gotten to see Amazon Super Bowl ad features Harrison Ford. Um, very interesting. Emily, I want to start with you, uh, with your marketing background. Share with uh, share with me in the audience uh, what you thought of the ad and what you think of what Amazon's trying to do in general with how it's positioning itself with, with that.
1: Well, I love the ad. I liked the ad last year. Alexa lost her voice. I think they're doing such a good job. It's very clever. Of course, with Amazon, there is hidden psychology. I mean, they're great with Easter eggs and just about everything they do. For example, the slogan at the end, which is not everything makes the cut. And then they have the queen song. Don't stop me now playing. If you caught that it's, it's very Bezos. It's very like there's clever psychology. So it's reassuring us. Amazon has quality control and can be trusted, which is a little of a response to some of the privacy concerns and certain specific news items that have come out recently about conversations being sent to context. And then with, you know, the celebrities, that's just pure testimonial. It's clever. It's fun. It's a good ad. And there is a little bit of a creepiness to it if you actually dissect what the message is. But I mean, overall, I'm a fan.
2: Well, if I've watched it once, I've watched it a dozen times since it came out. Um, It's hilarious. And I think that, you know, Emily brings up a lot of good points, especially on the psychological end, where, um, you know, humor is a great disarming uh, tactic. Uh, especially with brands that might be under scrutiny or under the gun, and as we all know, being as deeply involved in the voice space as we are, there's a there's a huge consumer, huge segment of the consumer population that's suspicious over uh, what's happening with these voice devices and virtual assistants. And so, I think the humor is a great way to disarm them. But what struck me is, you know, I have a lot of conversations with brands out there who, over the course of reviewing our our platform and what we can do with them. Um, you know, I think a natural human question is, well, why shouldn't I just trust Alexa or trust Google to go do this? Uh, They are the virtual assistants. And what popped in my mind as I watched this, you know, for the third or fourth time was this is actually a really great argument as to why brands should be in the business of owning their own voice experience. Um, you don't necessarily want to trust what Amazon or what Google or what Microsoft or now Samsung is going to do with your devices, your content, uh, your brand experience. So, um, you know the ability to create these custom skills and actions. I think feeds in really nicely to the idea of not everything makes the cut for Amazon, which is you, you need to own your own experience as a brand.
0: There is a lot of interesting uh, subtext in the ad. Um, it's 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 like a Shakespearean uh, Shakespearean work or something where it's working at different levels all at the same time. Uh, you can you can view it. As a consumer, um, not knowing anything, and it's funny, it's light, it, it deals with use cases um, in a funny way. Um, you can look at it as a, uh, uh, someone more knowledgeable in the area and see that they are doing very tactical, comedic you know, things um, to address certain points. Like there's a point in there where it talks about, and then we had the incident. <laughs> and that could easily be referring to any number of things. It could be referring to you know the, uh, the the FBI wanting to get Alexa records from that murder in Mississippi, I think it was. It could be the, the, the seventeen hundred uh, texts or whatever that, all that uh, voice communication that went from one person speaker to another uh, without any warning or any you know anyone really knowing how. Um, it could have been referring to anything. Um, yeah, I thought it was clever. I thought it was funny too. And uh, you're absolutely right, uh, Jason. You know, humor's the humor's what makes the medicine go down. And um, Amazon understands uh, clearly uh, understands that. Uh, any uh, any other thoughts on that?
1: I like that it was a little self-deprecating, but again, that is just the surface. I think it will play well. I think it will it will win brand bowl. In fact which is, you know, the Twitter contest of the Super Bowl ads. Every, every marketer goes absolutely nuts on Twitter um, over, over the Super Bowl. I've actually kind of opted out <laughs> the last couple of years because it's just overwhelming, but I like watching the ads beforehand. And like you said, Bradley, it's, it's different from other years because they get to test the water and, and put it out. It's on YouTube a month before the game. Um, yeah, but I, I think they did a great job with it this year. It's accomplishing what they wanted to.
2: I like that Emily's calling it you know, a few days in advance, Amazon's going to win a uh, Brand Bowl. Um I'm actually really, uh, I think it might as well, but I, I'm curious to see what some of the other uh, brands are doing and to see how um, consistent across the, the commercial communications this year, voice enters. Obviously it will with Amazon here with Alexa, but I'm curious to see if it'll make its way into some of the other, you know,
0: non-specific voice virtual assistant um, commercials as well it was interesting just as a as, as a final thought on that that right out of the gate in the commercial they mentioned the microwave and um and a part of the subtext of the of the ad as well is um, sort of mocking themselves for their their own experimentation which on this show we've actually complimented them for because it takes a lot of i guess courage is maybe the right word uh, to experiment with different products uh in the way that they have they've been Utterly shameless um, and absolutely, uh, you know, um, moving with blazing speed in doing it. And uh, that's that's literally the first five seconds of the ad. You know, they're calling out uh, the microwave. So I thought that was interesting, too.
1: Yes, yes, it's it's good. And there's some transparency with that. I think it's getting more common for brands to be transparent, a little more human and vulnerable and say, oh, we messed up or we're sorry or we did this wrong. That's kind of just this is. um, the zeitgeist we're in now, it like gets a little more of a human feeling with the brands that are, that are actually doing it well. And then, you know, another thing I liked about it, they had a nice swath of different celebrities, different ages, different backgrounds. So there's somebody for everybody. Like they've got the Broad City girls in there, Broad City women, I should say. And then the astronauts, you've got Harrison Ford, who is wildly appealing to just about anybody, Forrest Whitaker. So they cast it very thoughtfully.
0: Completely agree. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see what uh, the other advertisers have in store for us. But uh, I can't guarantee how much I'll be watching the game. If the Patriots take an early lead, it could get turned off quick. <laughs> that's uh, that's another uh, that's an entirely other. Uh, that's a personal problem of mine, I guess.
1: I think it is a widespread personal problem, Bradley.
0: <laughs> Story number two: Series shortcuts can be used to steal and send personal data. So this is an interesting one. And Jason, I want to start with you with, uh, first of all, what was your just reaction, uh, to, to this information, this story, um, and then secondarily with voiceify, um, how do y'all view Apple, you know, paint me a picture, you know, uh, in light of this article and maybe other information, you know, how you're looking at Apple as we enter into 2019, uh, is it a total non factor you know something you 're keeping an eye on? you know share with us your thoughts sure I mean I when I saw the article, I think the first thing that
2: ran through my head was um, you know the vulnerabilities on the Apple platform seem to be coming more frequently now, and uh, not to date myself, but having grown up with Microsoft being a pretty strong brand in my early career uh, there were constant vulnerabilities that you had to deal with. I mean, you almost had to be a de facto member of the IT team to even run a Windows machine for a period of time there. And the fact that these uh, Apple, the Apple software and Apple hardware together are are even opening themselves up to some of these vulnerabilities, I think um, is really interesting, but it, it also, and I think some of the call outs here um, in the article around positioning on um, no, should, should users even have to be aware of these sorts of things, um, you know, when technology was much less, uh, complicated, uh, you know, when people buy cars, they didn't have to be a mechanic. They didn't have to understand how things worked, Uh, they didn't have to be sensitive to anything probably other than, you know, did it turn on or not? And, and is there smoke coming out of it? Um, we're seeing as, as overall technology, not just digital technology becomes more and more complicated. There's, um, a learning curve that is, uh, the general consumer is perhaps falling behind a little bit on, um, And it's getting more drastic as the technology and sort of Moore's law uh, accelerates, but the knowledge within general population doesn't take that same accelerated uh, pace. So, you know, there's a responsibility, uh, obviously, by Apple, I think they probably hold on to that responsibility better than most other brands in making sure that they create safety for their users and for their customers. Um, So, but there still needs to be an awareness by the user uh, that these sorts of things are happening out there and, and not just the Assumed safety net that I think a lot of people operate under. Uh, To answer sort of the second part of your question, you know, is VoiceFi keeping their eye on Apple? I mean, geez, we'd be silly not to, right? Uh, Just because they got it wrong doesn't mean they're not going to get it right at some point. Um, You know, we're we're definitely part of the developer and community in general with Apple that is a little disappointed that they decided to marry the uh, ability for Siri to engage uh, with the customer. Have it tied to the native app that exists within their store. So, you know, we we have back channel, uh, you know, rumors and information, just like everybody else, telling us that probably by the end of 2019, something uh, is going to be changing with that in with that ecosystem. I think we will find ourselves, uh, uh, Voiceify specifically integrating with, but in general, developers uh, being allowed to work within a very uh, tight and closed ecosystem of voice applications. Uh, it probably will uh, turn out to be a, a subsidiary part of the existing um, uh, app store. Um, but it will uh, start allowing brands to engage uh, more directly uh, with the Apple community. And, you know, between uh, between Google Assistant coming to the Chrome browser, hopefully this year, uh, as it seems to be rumored to be happening, and Apple really upping their game with uh, Siri and what developers and brands can do with it, uh, you know, those are two of the really strong reasons I think this year is going to be gamebusters for our space.
1: Well, when I first saw this, I was thinking, OK, it sounds just like the FaceTime groups bug, which also came out, I think, was in the last week. And that's being patched. So if anybody missed that there was um, when people would do FaceTime groups and you were calling someone while the call was ringing, you actually could already hear what was going on through their microphone without them having yet answered the call. And this was discovered by a teenager. This got by Apple's entire incredible security team. So it seemed like, oh, it's kind of a double whammy in my vision this week. But granted, it doesn't matter. Like, this is not a disaster for Apple. These things happen. And I think you, you mentioned Jason Moore's law. Yes, completely. We, we know it's par for the course, the more technology we use and the more data that we have living on these platforms that there will be breaches it's not if it's when so I don't know um I think maybe it will turn more people onto setting up shortcuts because I actually I wasn't really aware that I could do all of these things and then I thought okay well I'd be willing to give it a shot
0: that's interesting that is entirely possible that uh (laughs) and what a sad uh commentary on Apple marketing that that actually may be the case that this uh Um, flap, you know, may actually increase usage because people just didn't know that this came out because it came out with so little fanfare. You know, this is now um, another new year of a lot of hope and optimism around Apple being able to get get their act together, you know, and contribute in a meaningful way to the voice space, you know, because if they're not, then they're just going to become you know, increasingly irrelevant as people uh, expect to become, you know, be able to use computers with their voice. You know, Jason, I I agree sort of with your sentiment. This is uh, this is an increasing cadence of problems. But I think the normal user probably does detect a decrease in quality across the Apple ecosystem in general. I think that's been, uh, among other things, it's led to the decrease in velocity of sales of the of the iPhone and, and other other hardware that Apple sells. I don't know. Uh, it's not good news, uh, but uh, you know, maybe it's not the apocalypse either. Any, any closing thoughts on that?
1: I have a question for you. What do you mean the decrease in quality?
0: Well, um, I, I think you could measure that a couple of ways. I think uh, the number one way I would look at it is that it, it is um, evident that there has been less innovative features, uh, less interesting Evolution cycle to cycle, you know, annual cycle to annual cycle in the iPhone line, um, you know, and furthermore What really gets me is um, Well, the reason I switched from iPhone. I was a long I was one of those people that would change, you know, buy the new iPhone every year And I did it for years. I did it for probably from the iPhone uh, Maybe the original or certainly the second gen all the way up to iPhone 6 plus which became my last iPhone it became my last iPhone because I was so irritated at the fact that Apple took the 3.5, uh, the, the headphone jack away and, um, you know, did it basically to, to force AirPods on everybody. And I get it. People like AirPods, but that's beside the point. And, you know, I've switched to Samsung and, uh, and I've enjoyed the phone I have now. Um, but, um, I think there's a demonstrable decrease in the new features and, 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 you know, the, the, focusing on the, the cameras and stuff but the, the thing that gets me is that I can't even tell you Emily, you know if you said tell me the latest iPhones like the XR and the X and whatever I, I could I couldn't tell you what they are. I don't have any clue and if, if someone asked me at gunpoint you know tell me what the differentiating factors are between the different I've currently sold iPhones I, I have no clue. Um, it's confusing. It's a mess, you know. It's just—it's everything that Steve Jobs wasn't. It's—it's uh, it's overly complex. Um, no one has really any idea what the what the value proposition of an iPhone over a Samsung is. If you lined up a hundred people and said, "Tell me why I should buy an iPhone rather than this you know, Galaxy phone or even a like Google Pixel," no one would be. Maybe ten percent would give you some answer that made sense. Um, I think uh Apple is in serious decline um, this is evidence further evidence of that and um and that's my uh that's my view
1: hmm. okay i I guess it's kind of off topic and I know we have more to discuss here i I wouldn't say that the quality has dropped off perhaps you could say innovation or new features because frankly every time the new phones come out you're buying a new camera a nicer camera it's not a dumb camera anymore, but the phone is a phone people don't use phones to talk on the phone very much it's about how fast the apps work or how secure it is and arguably Apple's ecosystem is more secure certainly than an Android. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm, I'm just kind of, this is interesting to me.
0: Well, uh, I am recording this podcast right now on my MacBook pro, uh, which is the most, <laughs> um, which is the most amount of money I have ever spent on a computer in my life. And, uh, I have an I button, the, the, the letter I which uh, is detached from the computer. And if I move the computer at all, it unseats and comes entirely off the keyboard. I have multiple letters on the bottom row that do uh, multiple uh, keys on the bottom row that don't work. And um, I've got to get the computer. And this is a known problem. The keyboards on the MacBook Pro don't work. And also, (laughs) adding insult to that injury, it actually managed to burn into the screen. So I have a MacBook Pro that is high end with a burned in screen with the keys that have burned into the screen, and then the keys also don't work. And then also I hit the Siri button all the time when I really never intended to do that because it's on the touch bar and I'm clumsy, I guess, and I hit the button all the time. Um,
1: <laughs> well, that does sound like a quality issue.
0: But um yeah, no, I'm 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 a um I'm a bitter uh oh. apple, apple former apple i can apple. tell uh, well, <laughs> well yeah. okay
1: let's okay. move on to the next topic yeah.
0: so <laughs> yeah, as uh, as listeners of the show understand i am uh, i am in a state of furor <laughs> over the apple ecosystem and uh, and that is fine to leave that uh, <laughs> to leave that there story number three our voicebot.ai story of the week voicebot.ai fantastic news and commentary site for all things voice and ai giving voice to a revolution Walmart pulls out of Google Express and Google Shopping Actions. This is a curious one. Emily, I'm going to start with you. What do you think about this, uh, this news? How does this strike you? Um, and in general, do you think, you know, maybe give us a commentary on, do you think this uh, heralds uh, bigger problems for Google's ecosystem, or is this just a one-off? Uh, share with us your, your thoughts and perspective.
1: I think this is the most interesting story of the week. Clearly what's happening here is Walmart is building its own software that will work with Google Assistant standalone, separate action. And it's interesting because what what happened was you had all of these other retailers like Target, Costco, Walmart, Walgreens, and they band together. And they're on, it's Google Express, Google Shopping. And that's up against Amazon because they have to band together against Amazon. So when a big one like Walmart leaves, what does that mean? Um, you know, it's still Google has a number of major retailers and valuable shopping tools, so it can still succeed going forward with or without Walmart. But I think the data is what's really important here. Google doesn't care about the revenue from Walmart shopping as much, but losing out on having that insight into the shopping data, that could hurt a little bit. There are still enough products. This isn't going to hurt the entire catalog. People can still get what they need. There's not something special that Walmart had that they no longer can get. So... This is about Walmart trying to put its own stake in the ground because they are a major player, and a lot of people don't even know this, but the amount of e commerce and what's going on in the Walmart app for a lot of people in this country not not the people who are amazon centric but those like your typical average american they're shopping at Walmart and they have troves of data it would blow your mind how much so that's what this is about it's about data
2: I, I was actually surprised when i saw that Walmart was um, integrated with Google at all for shopping or for the shopping actions. The reason being is that when they bought Bonobos uh, a few years ago for over $300 million, it was no secret that one of the reasons they were buying Bonobos was for the technology stack that that company put together that was apparently extraordinarily difficult for existing Walmart teams to replicate on their own. And you know they've used a lot of those features and functions to um, strengthen their existing uh, digital commerce plays. I, I agree with Emily completely around the data, and I think that you know until we get to a point, and, and this would uh, this would be wildly off subject uh, to go any further on. But until we get to a point where consumers own their own data, um, it's in brands' best interest to, if they can feasibly financially, own their own commerce channels. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that Walmart's getting off of it. Um, it surprised me that they got on it at all. It was probably more of an awareness play for them to try to expand their brand into uh, some audience segments that wouldn't normally shop at them. Um, they've probably done enough research now, having been on it for a couple of years and realized that they're, they're not gaining uh, as much as they thought they might have. And they keeping a closed ecosystem for themselves. will just have a much better uh, customer experience management process than integrating with third parties.
1: I'm thinking about, Having the closed ecosystem and the branded experience, that does that does matter. However, I think that eventually we'll come to a point where brands have less emphasis placed on the direct-to-consumer relationship, and it will be more important to make the voice assistant like your brand, recommend your brand, perhaps purchase placement, as a recommended product for searches done on voice. It won't be that we're bending over backwards to do email marketing and social media strategy and even sending out direct mail, which actually still works for retailers like Bed Bath & Beyond. That will change radically, but we're not quite there yet. So having a branded, personalized Experience, which you know, essentially that is what Walmart is building here and going toward, and will shuffle people into. That is is still relevant and important for for big brands. I
0: think Bed Bath and Beyond is probably a solid ten percent of the mail I get.
1: Those coupons are really effective. They make so much money that way.
0: And my wife is like, "Thank you, <laughs> I'll take every one of those." We got a big old stack right. of those. The blue coupons. Oh, they're um, in my, I've got them in my
2: glove box. I've got them uh, pinned to my front door. So I don't forget them when I walk out They're they're everywhere. everywhere. It's like, decorative. Right.
1: And you know, they tried to, to go digital with that effort. You can even have them emailed, but people like the big blue paper coupons. There's something about it. It might be a little bit of a throwback, but just psychologically, even the way they designed it, like they have tested different sizes, different thickness of the paper. What they have now is the result of so much iteration and it works like a charm, You know, speaking of Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, which is on Google Express, they have over a billion dollars in sales last quarter on e-commerce. If Google won over even 5% of that e-commerce business, that would be a huge boom. So there are still big opportunities here. I mean, Walmart's not the only major player.
0: The VoiceBot story did a really good job of painting a picture of of a mixed bag with this one. Yeah, you know, you don't really know. You know Walmart leaving is bad; um, it's unambiguously bad. But are they? Why are they leaving? Are they leaving because it didn't work? Well, okay, maybe. Or are they leaving because it works so well? Or they see the promise and potential so much that they're leaving because they got to do their own thing. They have no choice. So that's that's possible too. Um, I thought it was interesting. The article called out, uh, you know, Emily, what you were mentioning. It, uh, I believe, it was Target that has seen um, 20% larger cart sizes um, with people who have used Google Express or, or the Google Assistant ecosystem. Um, that's fascinating uh, also. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch because as we've noted on this show uh, multiple times, Amazon's approach, you know, all, all of this is about Amazon competing with Google, really, um, in my mind. And, you know, Amazon's approach has been, okay, we like what you're doing um we'll we'll try to get real close to you or acquire you you know they acquired ring acquired whole foods acquired several different businesses uh since alexa has become this big thing google's partnership uh, google's angle has been you know what we're going to have a legion of partners so they partnered with all sorts of people from from Walmart to to Lowe's, um, to, to Disney, to many others. And now that Walmart's pulling out of this partnership, uh, you, you wonder what implications that will have for their approach um, versus uh, Amazon moving forward.
1: Well, you mentioned the 20% larger cart by voice. This is interesting because if you go back to cash, when you're spending literal cash, which less than 1% of transactions nowadays are cash, you see exactly what you're spending. You feel that, you know, that money is no longer in your pocket. Then you have credit card where it's less of an awareness of what you spent. And then when you go to voice, it's almost an invisible expenditure. And that's part of why it's so frictionless and why the carts will get bigger.
2: You know, what's funny is that that's, I was just listening to last week's podcast a couple of days ago. We were talking about the KFC app in India. And what shocked me was that um, there's still a lot of cash on delivery and that, Society. So a lot of it has to do with, I think, cultural norms as well. So, Emily, I think your point is spot on here for America and and probably quite a few of the Western civilizations, but there are still places in the world where cash is king. And um, it'll be interesting to see what the spending rates are between those different um, differences in society.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, the Philippines, for example, is a very cash centric society. I even have a client where it's a payments app, and most of the users, or at least half, are from the Philippines, and trying to get them to adopt new behaviors and to use online banking or transferring on demand through an app is, is difficult because they don't trust it. Tr- cash, they, they think of it as reliable, trustworthy. I see it. And they, there's actually a black market for US dollars there. So <laughs> you're right. And 2 billion people are underbanked, actually unbanked. It's a whole different, I should have been more clear when I said less than 1%, I meant us. It is a global variability with that.
0: We'll move on to story number four from the BBC. Are smart speakers good for kids? So this was a topic uh, that we intentionally added to the program at uh, the Alexa conference that was just completed, um, one of the most listened to podcasts that we have ever produced, was with this speaker who wrote what, in my estimation, was one of the most important articles that anyone wrote about voice in 2018. Parents, don't let your kids use Amazon Echo.Kids. And it was in Fortune. And then from there, went on to a bunch of other places. A lot of people were asking this question. And uh, the the link in the show notes um, is to a uh, BBC piece called The Y Factor. Uh, It's really interesting. I encourage people to check it out. Jason, I want to start with you. You know, you can comment on the piece itself, but I want to ask you the broader question yes or no? Are smart speakers good for kids? Well, I guess I got to be truthful here. I don't have kids, so this is going to be
2: all a point of view from a non parent. Um, Although I guess I was a kid once, so I've got a little bit of perspective. Uh, This isn't, I don't think this is a yes or no uh, question. You know, this, like anything that's in digital, has a tremendous amount of gray uh, area to it. You know, I, I hear the tales, uh, I'm, I'm sure like we all do, from friends and colleagues about their children sitting at the, you know, breakfast counter trying to do math and asking Alexa what the answer is to, you know, what's the square root of sixty four. So, you know, can these devices, uh, from, from a knowledge or dependency standpoint, uh, be detrimental? I, I suppose so, sure. Does it manifest itself into an, an always on or, you know, uh, give it to me now sort of, um, Expectation by the, the younger generation. Yeah, I think it probably can as well. But like anything that came before it, whether it was uh, websites, mo- mobile apps, uh, television, video games, anything that was distracting uh, children away from what sort of the romantic youth of growing up was supposed to be about—being outside and playing with your friends and uh, learning in books and that sort of thing—like it. It's going, to, it's going to evolve. We're not going to stop it. I think that now more than ever, there's a heavier dependency on uh, parents for certain, but then also the other people we entrust our children with, uh, caregivers, uh, teachers, gu- guidance counselors, to make sure that having a healthy relationship with devices and with digital in general is uh, something that we talk about. And it's as much about mental and physical health, your relationship with technology um, as it is with, uh, you know, understanding what common courtesy and, and general uh, proper practices in a, in a society are supposed to be.
1: I agree with you on that. It's not scary that the kids can ask questions or find out the answer to their math homework without having to really work through the problem, which is such an important part of the process, because they've already got that with their cell phones or with the Internet. It's just that now it's a faster and easier experience because all you have to do is say it. You don't have to type it or click anywhere. Um, the same probably amount of information is available. It's just through a new medium. And then I'm not saying yes or no either. I think it's a really complicated issue too. So what I've looked up though, as I was kind of researching some stats on this, do you remember in 2017 when Mattel introduced Aristotle, which was a smart speaker for kids? You guys know about this? Vaguely. Okay, so... Aristotle was a $300 gadget. It never actually made it to market, but it was a kid-friendly Amazon Echo. It was also a baby monitor and a learning toy all in the same package. And it would answer an adult's questions or a kid's questions. And it would order more diapers when you ran out or soothe the baby back to sleep or play with the kids. And it did not get it did not go to market because it was so problematic because basically it was Mattel had all of this data and was with your kid every step of the way as they were growing up. So that became really problematic. Um, And, you know, with Melissa, with the commercial free childhood, and I'm so glad you had her at the conference. I think it's so important to always be skeptical and question these things and not just become, used to it because it is new and different and you know just like with cell phone technology brian romley was talking about this with 5g we don't know what it will do to ourselves to our bodies to our minds and we're all guinea pigs in an experiment of even having these very high emf devices on our bodies pretty much all day and at night it's the same thing with kids we don't know what the effect will be so we have to be really careful with it
0: yeah i completely agree i think um from from the conference programming standpoint i as i uh sort of prefaced melissa with you know the smartest people in our society over the course of human history have not just tolerated opposing points of view but they've actually pursued the understanding of them and you know there's always going to be a place for stuff like this at the alexa conference and other other events we do as well as in the podcast it's the whole point is to hear different perspectives and um I don't know. We don't have enough information, I think, to answer this question uh, in my estimation. So so my wife and I have a seven year old. Um, He has become quite adept at asking Alexa uh, all sorts of things um, to play Taylor Swift music or to uh, to play, you know, different um, different videos that he'll watch uh, Arthur or different things. And so I've been able to watch some of these things play out while I'm reading all these articles. I see it in my home, too. You know, I, I think that we'll learn more and more about this. You know, as you said, Emily, you're absolutely right, and and Brian articulated it succinctly as well. You know, we're all guinea pigs learning about all this stuff together. What I do find fascinating about this is, from an educational standpoint, you know, at least in the United States, we've got a really mediocre um, public education system. You know, I'm a product of public education, as is my wife. Uh, we were and and uh, we enjoyed our time, but. The fact of the matter is that public education needs a whole lot of work. And I think that, you know, one of the great, great things about what we're seeing with voice um, and the fact that people are using, uh, interacting with computers with their voice, um, and this is becoming a thing, is that um, it is now forcing this conversation, even more than the internet and the the web did, on what is it that we truly need to know versus what what do we not need to know and what can just be regurgitated to us instantaneously from a device that's either on our person or in our car or in our home or whatever so you know my son goes through multiplication tables um does he need to know multiplication Uh, I, i believe he does is there an argument that he doesn't need to know multiplication uh yes there is in a voice first world um yeah there's i could go on and on name anything name any aspect of history name any aspect of social you know any aspect of science uh, you could go on and on and have that debate so um it's a fascinating world we live in this is, i don't i think y'all nailed it uh, both of you I, you know in my estimation there's no answer or no certainly no easy answer but uh, that's what fascinates me with it any closing thoughts on that
1: i would say it's important to know those multiplication tables and to know basic history because it helps you to have a holistic view of society and who we are and what our roles are in it on the history piece. And then with the math piece, I mean, can you imagine going through life and not really knowing kind of the foundations of how numbers work? Yeah. You could always ask an assistant, but if you didn't understand, like I'm doing four times six. Okay. So it's like, I have four sixes. If the kid doesn't get that, that's a foundation for so much more learning that if we don't do that, then, how do we have knowledge or intelligence at all? I mean, this is a different topic, obviously, but.
0: Just <laughs> so I'm in complete agreement with yeah. you. Um, it's just uh, the, the fact is, and, and maybe those weren't fantastic examples, but uh, you know, you can really look at anything and, and ask yourself the question, uh, if I've got Alexa, you know, which is just going to move further, closer and closer into my person, you know, right? Today, it's a smart speaker sitting on the counter. Uh, t- tomorrow, it's it's in my glasses or or on my wrist or or in my clothing. Um, you know, do I, what do I need to know? It's it's a fascinating question. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's just an interesting question.
1: Yeah, I, it is really interesting. You know, the thing with all that we have access to more information than ever, I would say we're collectively dumber than we've ever been. Our vocabularies have shrunk. I think it was about 30% since 1950 because people don't read books. And when all you read are snippets and bites and tweets, you don't have that comprehension of a body of work, which takes a little more processing and a deeper level of thinking. So we're already moving away from that, which is scary.
2: Well, and I think that uh, not to elongate the conversation uh, too much here, but, and it may transition into your, into the last article here, um, Bradley, but I think that's where the involvement of uh, parents and, and guidance roles within a child's life is because human nature is to, I think be lazy or to try to take an easier route. and, everything that technology has given us over the past 60 years has made our lives easier, but we haven't, we haven't thoughtfully or consciously, or I should say collectively as a society thoughtfully uh, decided to back ourselves up with the foundations, as you call them, Emily. Um, and, and so when you, when you forget what you once were responsible for knowing it's hard to understand what the best use of what the current opportunities are, Um, That's why strategists and philosophers spend a lot of time understanding the past so they know what the possibilities are for the future. But as consumers, sometimes we don't have that opportunity or we don't force that sort of behavior on ourselves
0: or the people we're responsible for. Story number five, can we create a non-patriarchal, unprejudiced, post-gender virtual world? This is an interesting one. I like to include things like this from time to time. Emily, I want to start with you. I think you could read any number of things into this. Uh, this is sort of a, one of these. It's, it's a bit of a Rorschach test. Uh, what uh, what was your reaction on sort of reading this? Do you do you what does this conjure to mind for you? Share share with me your thoughts.
1: It makes me think about biased hiring practices and gender, and it's it's a total can of worms, but when we think about programming AI, we know we are biased. We have inherent bias. Even people who consider themselves very progressive and open-minded and tolerant have inherent prejudice inevitably because that is what media and culture have done to us. You can see this in young children of all races. They have inherent bias. So if you are a human being programming AI, the AI is only as good as you are and you're Unable to get rid of these biases, no matter how hard you try, because you know within a millisecond they're there, and the first thing when we see a person, we categorize them male or female that 's usually the first box we put them into, and then there's like, are they tall or short? Do they look friendly or scary just on an evolutionary level? So you know gender is it is not invisible in society, and it does matter, and men and women are different. our brains are literally different, so the thing with all of the, the research that this article, so they interviewed, I think it was a group of millennial women who this was reporting on, on the survey results. And there was a split. Some people said AI will help us have a post-gender world. And gosh, that actually sounds kind of terrible because I don't want everybody to be the same. There are things about women and men that are different and that's a good thing. And we complement each other. And that's what makes it magical to have difference. So the other ones who said that it was going to be, um, worse i mean that's if if we have programmers who have this inherent bias and then it becomes like there are examples of firms that historically hired male candidates immediately started rejecting female candidates the ai that is was rejecting the female candidates because that didn't fit the mold of past successful applicants so you're just repeating what's happened in the past and then on the other hand there's a lot of good stuff that could happen with this because it could be programmed to purposely avoid those kind of biases Um, I think, you know, one person I think was quoted or said something like the only way we could collectively improve really quickly would be to use AI because this inherent bias happens to the best of us. And, you know, if you look at prejudice society and racism and, and how certain groups are marginalized and who makes how many cents on the dollar of a white man, maybe this is a faster way to get that fixed. But we have to be really careful who's programming it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely in the category of third rail, right? Um, it's a really sensitive subject, uh, especially in technology. And, you know, I think that Emily's right on a lot of what she said. I think that, I think as the article actually mentioned, you know, the data sets that we have to work with are already carrying a lot of bias with them. Um, and it, I think a lot of people can associate bias with um, nefariousness. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case, but, uh, you know, to Emily's point, a lot of this stuff has been baked into who we are as human beings, um, culturally, socially, um, certainly at a gender level. And the level of consciousness it takes to try to undo that and not just ignore it and, and not just, um, uh, simply try to avoid it, but to consciously think through what needs to change in order to achieve something like this, uh, you know, I don't think this will be achieved in my lifetime. Um, and I'm not sure that all of these things need to be achieved together. Um, you know, I think that there is value in allowing people to identify themselves uh, by, by gender, even in a virtual world. And, but as it comes to non patriarchal and unprejudiced, I, I'd like to think that AI can be employed. And I think that's an important point in a process of AI, is that you have to choose to employ it for a purpose. And I think that there's uh, romanticism about what AI can do in business and for humans as individuals where people may overcommit what that AI is supposed to be responsible for. So I think that there is a level of responsibility that comes with the employers of artificial intelligence to make sure that they're not overcommitting what that AI is supposed to do for them so that they can then start employing their own critical thinking uh, against whatever it is they're trying to achieve to ensure that a. Um, a sort of sound result is achieved rather than just accepting whatever the machine spits out.
1: Yeah, that's, that's so true. And especially when it comes to hiring, this is important. Um, It shouldn't replace people because if you're scanning resumes, which by the way, the resume is going away, that will die. I think we're going to more of a video resume and, um, but the good old paper resume that has the keywords or like they're scanning it on, on a digital copy. And they're looking for certain things that have worked in the past. But that doesn't make for diverse teams, like Jason said. We need diversity to have multiple viewpoints. Here's an example, Apple Health. When that first came out, I think the vast majority of the developers were men, probably mostly white men. And of course, it had all of these great features, like you could track your weight and your steps and log your meals. It was missing one really major component that we have to track for health, which is a menstrual cycle which is half the population at some point in their lives, roughly half, need to track this. And it's really important for health, but there were no women in the room to bring it up. So it just was missing. And finally, they added it, but it was such a huge miss. That's like me, one of the best examples of the importance of having diversity when you're doing product development.
0: You know, I included this one. I, I think it, it calls out a number of good points. It, it loses me, you know, with Italy, with what you said about the post gender. It's like I, non-patriarchal. All right, I'm on. I can get on board with that. Unprejudiced. Uh, I can get on board with that. Post post gender. Uh, I no.
1: Yeah. I mean that's no. okay to have gender it, we are different. we're not all one kind of blob thing <laughs> just, well
0: it's just yeah if you, if you if you say you want diversity uh and then you say you, you want something post gender then there's you're getting a little crosswaves. and and so the, the author of the article sort of lost me with that and anyone who says post gender also it automatically means that you don't value some things that I value, and so it's like you know, but I, I get what the author is saying, you know, we need to be watching for these biases, um, you know, to be present uh, and be in cognizant of it and proactive about it as technology evolves. And that point is well understood. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm of the mind that um, technology is going to make these problems a lot, not a little worse. They're actually going to make them a lot worse um, to begin with. And I think that um smart people are beginning to figure that out and uh the topic that comes to mind is something i mentioned on the show before the the autonomous car you know people look at the autonomous car which is another technology that's quickly coming down the pike and they think well all right this is going to um it's going to improve the environment uh it's going to improve um you know it's going to reduce the number of cars uh, for for this reason or that reason or the other Um, it's going to be, uh, this net positive for society, uh, in these ways that I I think are important. And I I think that is entirely false. I think the autonomous car when it comes out, um, will be horrendous (laughs) for society, right? At least right when it comes out, because, um, and I just go no further than thinking about how I would use it. If I had an autonomous car right now and I had to go visit my wife downtown in downtown Nashville. I'm not about to have that thing park. I'm going to have it circle the block while I run something inside or bring, you know, we get lunch. I'll have it just circle around the block and then I'll leave. And, and, uh, researchers have studied uh, the people who are studying this, understand that, um, that people like me w- would abuse this sort of system. And so this has got to be regulated against, and there's got to be, um, some thought that goes into it because, um, Otherwise, you're just going to get people's laziness coming out and other other existing factors that show up in the technology, and that's actually what the point of the article is: is that we can't allow that to happen with, with voice and AI. And and to that extent, uh, I'm 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 bought in. Any closing thoughts on that?
1: I hadn't thought about that with autonomous vehicles. I guess I pictured a world where we didn't own the cars, so I would summon the vehicle just kind of like I call a Lyft, picks me up. And then I get dropped off, and it's it's off duty for me, and it can go handle someone else. And thirty seconds later, if I'm done with my quick errand, then I just call another car. It's a different car, or maybe the same one. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's more to this than I realized.
2: That's an inter- that would be an inter- That model, Emily, would be an interesting challenge to the sense of individualism and ownership. I'm oh, Living sure. in southern Living in Southern California, which is car culture.
1: Oh, completely. The idea you of you sharing to- a car yeah. is like.
2: A, is yeah. Nuts out here. Um,
1: yeah, but if you look at young people, they are owning fewer things and leasing or agreed. renting more. It's That's the economy we're yep. going to. Like, it's your grandfather's Buick in the 50s. Why do we need an interstate highway system? We're not going to need that.
2: Well, and that's that's where I was going to go with my closing comment, which is, I think, with all of the technology that's available to us, specifically in transportation, at least here in America, we're still focused on having a small physical compartment for one, two, three or four people to sit in to go someplace instead of having a meaning, a more meaningful, I think, conversation about what actually makes sense for not just the health of our local environments and congestion of travel, but probably even relating into security issues for our country as a whole. If we were to leverage technology and autonomous vehicles at a larger scale, and I mean, literally bigger, bigger vehicles of some type, think trains semi-trucks, buses, that sort of thing, where we can actually decrease the dependency on these small things that everyone has to own. But a topic for another podcast, perhaps.
1: Yes, invite us back to talk more about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been great. Uh, This has been great. I appreciate the commentary on this as well as, as, as all the stories. Emily, Jason, thank you both very, very much for being part of This Week in Voice today. Thank you for sharing not only your time, but your experience and your expertise with the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated.
1: You're welcome, Bradley. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Agreed. Thanks a lot, Bradley. And thank you, Emily. Talk to you guys soon. For This Week in Voice, Season 3, Episode 13. Thank you for listening. And until next time.